0: Wasn't that good? Turn your Bibles, if you would, to 2 Timothy chapter 1. What a wonderful thing to say, he is risen. 2 Timothy, Paul is writing to Timothy just before his death. And we're going to read verses 8 through 10. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, Which was granted to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, what a a joy on this morning to look back and say of the Lord Jesus, He is risen. He is risen indeed, and to know that death has been conquered, Heaven, it is, a door has been opened to heaven that we might call it our home. So we pray as we look into your word this morning that you would be pleased uh, to speak to our hearts, and so we ask for your blessing, we ask for your presence, in Jesus' name. To understand why Easter is a celebration, you have to understand the true nature of death. We live in a world that denies death, uses other terms, they've gone away, they've, they've various other terms. And, and sometimes they even want to make it uh, as a natural part of life, the circle of life, and even put a positive spin on it. But the truth is, there is a horror to death. Paul called death the last enemy to be abolished in 1 Corinthians 15-26. Joe Bailey who lost three of his children to death wrote a book called The View from the Hearse*, and in that book he says death is the enemy of God of man made in the image of God of animals with whom man shares flesh blood, and nerve endings. It's an enemy. It destroys God's purpose. It destroys what God was doing. Death is the great interrupter, abruptly terminating every human relationship. I was talking to Dan Smith, Bob Smith's brother, one time about death, and he talked about uh, they had Awanas at their church, and uh, a child was coming to their Awanas, and uh, unexpectedly, the the family wasn't involved in the church, but unexpectedly, the husband died. And having no church home, they they asked if the church would host the funeral for them. And he said, so we agreed, and the family was there, everybody was in the auditorium, Uh, the family was viewing the body one last time. And as they kind of stepped back and they were going to close the lid, suddenly the wife threw herself on her husband's body, weeping. And so they gave her a little bit of time, and then they tried to disengage her, and she held on so tightly that as they pulled her away, they began to pull the body out of the casket. And Dan said to me, I understood the phrase, we sorrow not as those who have no hope. Death ends hope of relationships. Death death is a destroyer of dreams, of plans, of lives. In the book of Job, Bildad called death the king of terrors. David could speak of a similar experience in his life when he said, my heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen around me. There's a terror to death. The writer Hebrew speaks of Satan using the fear of death because death is the great unknown. There's a fear associated uh, with death. He said, say, Satan using the fear of death to enslave people to his own will. The intense desire for self preservation often leads to wrong moral choices because there's a fear of death. In Isaiah 25, verse 7, Death is referred to as the shroud that is over all peoples, the veil that is over all nations. Death is universal. You will feel its cold hand someday, as will I. And you won't know when it's coming, but come it will. According to Hebrews 9.27, you have an appointment with death, And when it comes, it'll end whatever you're doing, planning, building, enjoying, and you will be gone. That's death. Death is an enemy, a terror, a horror. And any attempt to make it otherwise, it's just like whistling in a graveyard at night. It makes you feel better, but it provides absolutely no hope or help. death is like a tree that has poisonous fruit separation fear destruction terror pain suffering but to really understand it we have to understand its root not just its fruit this week we were having some some plumbing issues so we called a plumber and and the thought was that there was some air in our lines and so they said the way to do it is we'll turn on every faucet in the house getting the air out however the problem wasn't air in the lines the problem was a blockage in our line to the sewer so as we turned in all turned on all the faucets in the house and then went downstairs to turn them all on in the basement I noticed that bubbling up in my downstairs shower was raw sewage and so we rushed around and turned it all off and he said well the, the real problem is in your sewer line. And so they began working on it, and I began cleaning up the the uh, shower floor. And he came to me and he says, I think we have it done. He says, uh, go flush the toilet upstairs several times, but it came back up again because the problem wasn't solved. When it was solved, it didn't come back up again. It's so nice to turn on water and not have... <laughs> sewage come up in the basement. Well, see, we can never solve the problem of death until the root problem is dealt with. I have a cousin who's a doctor and I said to him one day, why do so many people die of strokes? And he said, because we've cured a lot of things that they would have died of. Stroke is your body just wearing out and dying. We can fix problems. I'm thankful that medicine can fix problems. But we can't fix the problem of death because the root of death is sin. I just read yesterday an article um, that this guy who invented chat, whatever it is, the AI thing, had given $180 million to a a group that's trying to extend life and defeat death. And in the article, they said Jeff Bezos of Amazon's given three billion to another group. And they began to list all the different rich people who have given millions and billions of dollars to these groups who say, we're gonna end death. But the problem is they don't have the ability to deal with the root of death. And that's the problem of sin. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. So you come to the beginning of the of the word of God, the Bible, and in Genesis one and two, God creates this incredible creation, and He says it's very good. And then in chapter three, you find Adam and Eve in, in, disobeying God, sinning against God. And then in chapter four, you find their their son Cain killing their son Abel. And in chapter five, seven times you'll find the words: "This person lived. He did this, and he died. This person lived, and he died, and he died, and he died." and he died and he died because of sin death has come into the world in Romans 6:23 it says for sin pays its wage death death because sin has broken our relationship with God, death is the absence of the life of God. That's why Jesus said, I am coming that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly because even in this life, our, the, the wages of sin is death in this life. There's death in our lives in this life. And sadly, at the end of life, if you don't know Christ, that separation from God continues and it's called the second death, eternal separation from God. Death mirrors sin's character. The Bible tells us sin separates sin enslaves, Sin destroys. And the ultimate payment for sin is eternal separation from God. But look at the second half of that verse. But God's free gift is eternal life in union with Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's the good news that we celebrate on Easter. God was concerned about our fruitless struggle with death. And God cared about us. And so he sent someone to deal with the underlying cause of death, our sin. And since we all are able, all we're able to earn is death. God provided a way to give us life as a free gift. How could God do this? Well, we read that here in 2 Timothy chapter one. In verse 10, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Adam and Eve, in their sin in the garden, God came to them and said to Eve, one of your children is gonna solve this problem. And so the Lord Jesus Christ came, second person of the Godhead came from heaven and came to earth, inherited a body so that he could die and abolish death. Because he wanted us to be with him for eternity and he didn't want us to live in the sewage of sin all during our lives. This word abolish here in Second Timothy, or chapter one, is a word that means to utterly defeat, to put out of commission, to render ineffective. Joe Bailey, Again, in his book, The View from the Hearst says, what, but what, uh, what it, the Bible, does tell us, and tell us clearly, is that by the death of Jesus Christ on a cross, death itself has been conquered. And in a day yet to be, it'll be utterly destroyed. He's abolished death. This last great enemy Paul spoke of in First Corinthians 15. How did he do that? 1 Peter 3.18 tells us, for Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Lord Jesus came on a rescue mission. He wanted to restore that relationship that gives us the life of God. And to do that, the penalty of sin had to be paid for. And what an amazing wisdom of God that by a death he would slay death. And so the Lord Jesus came and he went to a cross, and God put your sins and my sins, every sin you ever have committed or ever will commit, every sin that ever will be committed on planet earth, was put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And th- during those three dark hours, when he said, God, why have you forsaken me? God judged him. He was separated from everyone else, he suffered alone, in the dark, in pain for your sin because he loved you and wanted you. We had a, a good Friday service here, Friday night, and, and Darla saying, I was on his mind. You were on his mind when he died. And so the Lord Jesus made it possible for us to have our sins forgiven because a relationship with God can be restored and we can have abundant life in this life and in the and for eternity. And what's the proof of that? And that's what we come to and celebrate this morning, the resurrection. How do I know Jesus Christ, when he said it was finished, it really was finished? How do I know that God accepted his sacrifice, that it was enough? Martin Luther said, the cross is the victory. The resurrection is the triumph. The resurrection is the public display of the victory and triumph of the crucified one. Luther has in mind what Paul spoke of in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 to 16, when he wrote, "But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one an aroma to, from death to death, and to the other aroma." from life to life, and who is adequate for these things. Paul has in in mind the the great triumph march parade that a a general who had fought a foreign war added territory to the empire of of the Roman Empire and won a great victory, would be given. And so he would have all the, the... Priests from the various temples of Rome would be marching in front of him, burning incense, and then he would follow in a golden chariot, followed by all of his victorious soldiers, followed by all the the trophies of his victory the the enemy soldiers and and some of the things that they had taken from the enemy. Well, you can imagine being in Rome at some point. And w- the rumor comes, the the word comes. There has been a general who's been victorious. He's won a great victory. But is it true? And then comes the day of the Roman triumph. And as you see the the enemy uh, soldiers being marched through, you see the victorious soldiers. You see the general in that chariot. You know the victory's true. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is God's statement that the victory of the cross was true. C.S. Lewis writes of Christ's resurrection, he has forced open a door that's been locked since the death of the first man. He has met, fought, and beaten the king of death. Everything is different because he's done so. The message of the early church was the message of the resurrected Savior. In Acts chapter 10, Peter is speaking to Cornelius. And he, he says to Cornelius, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about doing good and healing and all those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Cornelius, living in the Holy Land in the time of Christ, would have heard rumors about Jesus Christ. And then he goes on, verse 39 says, we are witnesses of all the things he both did in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death, hanging him on a cross, but God raised him up on the third day, and granted that he become visible not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God, that is, to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly testify that this is the one who's been appointed by God as the judge of the living and the dead. Of him all the prophets bear witness, and through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. And Peter and the others, if you go through all the sermons that are preached in 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 the book of Acts, you'll find constantly the reference to the resurrection. This is the proof of God. We saw him. We knew him. We know he was raised from the dead. Some of us saw him die like John did. We know where his tomb was. And he's alive. And we're witnesses that the the promise of God is true. The resurrection of Jesus Christ proved to the apostles and the early Christians he was victorious over sin and death in hell. Paul, who wrote of death being the last enemy, a little later in 1 Corinthians 15 says this, for this perishable must put on the imperishable, this mortal must put on immortality. I'm a physical man and I'm going to die, but I'm going to put on a body that will never die. I'm going to die, I'm mortal, but I'm going to be immortal and it must happen. Why? Because Christ has risen from the dead and he's given me his promise. And he goes on and he says, but when this perishable have, shall have put on the imperishable and when this mortal will have put in immortality, then will come about the saying which is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory, O death? Where is your sting? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what do we do with this message? Part of that triumphal entry was was all the soldiers who fought in the battle. Every believer is part of Christ's triumph the triumph of the crucified one. And so the history of the church is the history of people who risked their lives because they didn't fear death. And so they started leper colonies, knowing that they could get leprosy, a disease that had no cure. They went into the land of headhunters and cannibals, carrying just the gospel of peace. Why? Because they knew a living Savior who was going to give them life. And countless multitudes who who haven't done that bear this testimony. I know I'm going to heaven. I know I will live again because Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. Years ago, I was on a gospel team And we were going to go, every three years in Milwaukee, all the Jehovah's Witnesses of Illinois, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Iowa come together for a big conference. And so we were going to stand outside on the last day and hand out some literature. And uh, there was a man who had spent 50 years in the Jehovah's Witnesses. And he had even worked at headquarters. And then he got saved. And he wrote a track Uh, about his experience. And so we were going to get um, several thousand copies of this track. And the leader of the team said, would you like to come along and load all the boxes in the van for me? And I said, yes. And so I had a chance to meet this man. And he said to me, do you have any questions? I said, yes. What caused you to get saved? 50 years in the Jehovah's Witnesses, working in the headquarters. And he said, we would go out and knock on doors and I would run in. He didn't say, well, he did say, I'd run into a Christian (laughs) and I could twist them all around. They couldn't answer my questions, but they would look me in the eye and they would say, but I know I'm going to heaven because Christ died and rose again. And I was there working my hardest to make it me right enough in God's sight that I could make it. And he said, every time I ran into one of those people, it was like there'd been a, a little wedge driven into my heart. And every time I spoke to one of them, it tapped it until my heart broke open and I received Christ. God calls on us to live in the joy and power of the resurrection. Death is real. We live in a world that recognizes death is real. That parade for the the ones who were not on the side of the victory, it was death to death. When that man ran into real Christians, he knew, if these people are right, I'm in trouble. But to those who know Christ, it's a smell of life to life. So how do we respond today to the resurrection? Well, if you know Jesus Christ is your savior, let me suggest three things that you should respond. The first is a quote by Chuck Swindoll. Don't worry. Chuck Swindoll said, the devil, darkness and death may swagger and boast. The pangs of life will sting for a while longer, but don't worry. The forces of evil are breathing their last Not to worry. He is risen. And because he's risen, we can face this world with hope and confidence. He's in control. Things happen. Difficult things. The second one comes out of a book called My Psalms by Chuck Bailey, or Joseph Bailey. I could read you a psalm from a children's hospital where he was walking up and down as his baby that had some problems and had surgery right after birth died 18 days later. I could read you a psalm from a hospital corridor when he was walking the hospital walls as his almost five-year-old died of leukemia. I could read you the psalm of the death of an 18-year-old as his 18-year-old son was killed in a sledding accident. And each one of those shows the the struggle that death and these things are real, but there's hope in Christ. But I want to share with you his psalm for Easter. He says this, Let's celebrate Easter with the rite of laughter. Laughter. Christ died and rose and lives. Laugh. Laugh like a woman who holds her first baby. Or in our case, like Brooke Klunder holding his grandchild. <laughs> <laughs> our enemy death will soon be destroyed. Laugh. Laugh like a man who finds he doesn't have cancer. Or he does, but now there's a cure. Christ, opened wide the door to heaven. Laugh like children at Disneyland gates. The world is owned by God and he'll return to rule. Laugh. Laugh like a man who walks away uninjured from a wreck in which his car was totaled. Laugh. Laugh as if all the people in the whole world were invited to a picnic and then invite them. We can face this life because Christ died and rose again and we will too. There's a home ahead. There is help in this life and it's guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is a kingdom coming where we will feast with the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have the opportunity to say to people who are wounded by death, who are uh, terrorized by death, we have an opportunity to invite this one into their lives to bring comfort and hope and a future where we can invite them to a picnic for the whole world. What about if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your savior? Well, besides all that we've spoken about so far, I want you to know that Jesus Christ has an invitation for you. Lord Jesus said, come unto me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Lord Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, that's this life, but have the light of life for eternity. The Lord Jesus' heart aches to have you come and know him. If I can model a little bit after Joe Bailey's psalm, I would say to you, the Lord Jesus is stretching out his hand to you this morning. Grab it. Grab it like a swimmer who's going down for the third and last time. Grab it. Grab it like a man who's hanging by his fingertips from a cliff of a high mountain grab the hand of the Lord Jesus. That swimmer who's going down for the last time and he hears that voice saying, I'm here, grab my hand. Well, he's got to choose to believe and respond. That person hanging by his fingertips and then he hears that wonderful voice, I'm here for you, grab my hand. Listen, death's real, hell's real. The death of Jesus Christ proves that. And his resurrection proves there's hope. And he offers his hand to you today. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal savior, grab his hand. Put your trust in him. And then, You can celebrate. You cannot worry. And you can say to friends who are struggling, let me invite you to meet a person who can help you. This is a great day to remember that great day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you in a world of turmoil, in a world of pain and suffering, in a world um, in the terror of death, we have a hope to celebrate. A hope not only to celebrate, but to invite others to know. So we pray that as we walk out this week and we face this week of whatever comes, we might Respond to it in the light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because we ask it in his own precious name.